ever since the beginning of the whole world, from the garden, the foundation of the world being laid and the entrance of the snake into the garden to deceive Adam and Eve, brothers and sisters, there has been a war that erupted, a war of the prideful versus the meek the humble, the kingdom of God that serves to set his people free and deliver them from the yoke of bondage. And in the world today, we are seeing the proliferation of Egypt again, the bondage system of Egypt again. And with her bondages, she hopes to enslave the children of Israel. And on the world stage, we see it all take place. I want to submit to you that we are in a war not against flesh and blood. We're not in just another culture war. We are in a spiritual war, a, a war against principalities that come against us. And yes, we see it take place in the physical. We see it take place on the world stage. But let's not be ignorant to forget how spiritual it really is is because then we can properly fight it with spiritual means. You don't want to come to a spiritual war with physical weapons because you don't win that war that way. In fact, the enemy wants you to come to a spiritual war with physical weapons because he doesn't play in the physical. He plays in the spiritual and he uses people in the physical. But we tear down strongholds in the spirit by the Holy Spirit of God that has been given to us. I'm starting this out tonight. I'm excited, as you can hear, to come to you and open up with the Q&A's here tonight. Tonight we have uh, our questions and answers that we per periodically have where you guys are invited to send in your questions and how many we did receive, how many wonderful questions we received. Uh, I want to submit it's always so cool for me to see how the Holy Spirit brings things together because we always think about what is the theme of the night? What is what are all of what is the, the the theme of the questions that you guys sent in? And tonight that theme is in the title, the pride war, the prideful versus the humble in the world. And then many other questions kind of close to that pattern. Um, some other questions we're going to be talking about here tonight is the is Pride Month as we are in Pride Month, as the world calls it, the humility of Yeshua, a question regarding being rebaptized into the sacred name, walking by the Holy Spirit, how do we do that? Is that walking by feelings? And what's the difference? Eternal life and suicide. Do those who commit suicide inherit eternal life? And then another question regarding demons. Um, can demons be scared away with devices like shofars, crosses, things like that? And then we have a question also regarding the Sabbath. So, brothers and sisters, I'm truly excited. Um, just looking forward to spending this night here with you. Now, I'm going to dig right into it. And oh, by the way, um, please, in the live chat, as you're watching this, talk to us. Um, I'm definitely going to be interacting with some of you guys tonight. And if you have a question as well, post it there. And we're going to see if we can get to those who, which time allows us to get to.
Right, so the first question I want to pull up here for us all is from Peter, and he's from Day, Cornwall in the UK. And I'm just going to head right into it. His question is regarding Gay Pride Month. And he asked the following. The whole month of June is Gay Pride Month in the UK. And the charity I support financially and as a volunteer is having a stall set out at Bood Pride Day, July 1st. I have been praying against this sinful event and against the LGBTQ community who is forcing this on people. And as such, I have taken a stand for my faith and what is right and good and resigned from the charity yesterday. I follow God's command to love thy neighbor and have nothing but love for everyone, including everyone in the LGBTQ community. But I cannot support their sinful lifestyle, which is not an abomination to God. God hates sin, but loves a sinner. And I agree with that. And I'm not homophobic, just the opposite. And I show love, not hate, but show love and pray for the redemption of those trapped in this demonically lifestyle. What are your thoughts? All right, Peter, thank you so much, my brother, for sending in this question. Now, you know, just right off the bat, let's just think about this. You know, when I see someone who is and this goes for any kind of breaking of God's law, any when God tells his people, I want you to do this, please do this, choose a life, don't choose death, right? We know his intention for us from giving of the Torah, the prophets speaking to us and in the New Testament through Yeshua and the apostles, his will is for us to be blessed, to receive good instruction, to be blessed. If we move in the will of God, we'll be blessed. And if we ignore his will and move outside of it, we sin and we will inherit consequences. And so when I see someone who breaks the law of God, who goes against his instructions, my heart absolutely breaks for that individual. Like I, I, my first reaction is not, oh, I can't believe you are like this. You're so evil. Like my first reaction is not to shake the finger at them. Like my first reaction is not to, to, to condemn them. And, and even if someone does stand condemned before the father, I, see my role as what Yeshua said, where he said, I did not to condemn the world, but to save it. My role is to proclaim the redemption of Yeshua so that all who hear may be saved. And that does include calling individuals to repentance as Yeshua did. See what, what Jesus did is he dined with prostitutes. He dined with drunkards, tax collectors, sinners. He that means he reached out to them in order to meet them where they're at, not just to shake a finger at them, but to share his love and his redemption, the heart of the father for them to come home with them. And then but here's the thing. After that meeting, uh, there was one uh, uh, reverend I, I just recently heard, you know, he said, when Jesus met with people, they were the ones who were expected to change. He did not change for them. And I love that because 
God is, is unchanging. He is holy. He is righteous and perfect. He is not the one who's supposed to change for us. And we're not supposed to try and mold him into our image and create a false idol, our own version of God. In fact, what's supposed to happen is he sets the standard and we change however necessary to be molded more into the image of Christ. It is the ultimate goal of every believer is to walk as Yeshua walked and anything else, any doctrine, any theology other than that is false doctrine. And Yeshua held to the instructions of his father from the beginning, the Torah and the prophets. He kept it. He walked in it. And so when we want to know what his thoughts were regarding homosexuality and and uh, all of the and, and, you know, gender dysphoria, many of the many of those conversations, um, transgenderism, all of these things today, we want to, we, people say, well, well, Jesus never spoke about those things. Well, at the end of the day, you have to remember that he was speaking. His audience were the, was Israel and Israel they they perceive that righteousness is defined by the law of God. They were reading the law of God in the synagogue every Sabbath. They were very they were stumbling over how to keep the law. Their conversation was not over if the law is relevant. So what Yeshua spoke to things like the phylacteries or or having tassels too long or 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 um, uh, uh, tithing, but not actually caring for uh, other higher commandments, even and love. Right. So he was concerned with the issues of his day in the Jewish people. That was his audience. So homosexuality was not such an was not an issue because people in the Jewish community in Israel did were in unity over what that where they stand and where God stood regarding that. But when you get to Paul, who was sent to the Gentiles, who was sent to the pagans, pagans who did not have the foundation of the Torah and the prophets, ultimately, Paul did speak a a lot more regarding sexual immorality specifically, including uh, things such as homosexuality uh, and and other uh, issues of that nature. And he was clear, repeating what the law of God said that no one, Paul, as as I'm quoting him, Paul, not me, not PD, Paul says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that includes sexual immorality, by the way, sexual immorality, as in a, 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 a man who is straight looking at a woman with lust who is not his wife, who lusts after other women who he's not in covenant with. That man, too, will not inherit the kingdom of God if if he doesn't repent from that. So this is not an issue of and I think Christianity has done this. They've pointed the finger at at this one sin and, and, and surely it is a sin. However, have we also looked to ourselves and made sure that we extinguish the issue of pornography in our midst, which is ravaging Christianity, the church, men who are believers as a whole as well. So we have to be careful here, right? There is there are both sides of the coin. We have we we have to call others to repentance. We we should fight for righteousness. But at the same time, we should not be found to be hypocrites before the throne of our father. So when someone is 
is on a path of destroying themselves. They feel suicidal. They feel like, you know, if, if I find someone on a bridge and they're about to jump because they feel suicidal, they want to kill themselves. I, with great love, I'm going to try and speak to them and talk them down from that place so that the love of the father can envelop them and they can be saved. And that is what it is. I see the agenda of the enemy in the world to be to tell us that these things are OK, that that sexual immorality of all types is okay. It is okay to scroll through TikTok and look at what you see on there and scroll through the Facebook shorts and look at all the girls and all the stuff everywhere. Like, like the world tells us that's normal. It's okay. I want to call you down from that ledge because you're about you're on a ledge and you may not even realize it. Like you're you're in a, on a, su- a path of suicide, because when you're on a path of self-destruction, that is just another type of suicide. And my love is for you is to call you down from there. And so when I see many of the things of the world being taught into wanting to be taught to our children, wanting to be taught uh, in our education system, wanting to be forced on us as believers to how we should not what we should believe regarding uh, people and how they identify uh, in terms of gender when we when we have to when we've been called by God to stand on what truth is, you know, let the world do what the world does, right? Let the world, they will do what they do. And we're called to be separate. But then do not force us into the pattern of the world. That is when it becomes a deeper issue that we must fight against strongly. And so with this, we should fight against the definition of what love is being changed. The definition of what true inclusivity is being changed. In- inclusivity is who Yeshua, who Jesus was. But and that is what the church is called to be. We're called to be inclusive, allowing people who who are sinners to come in and hear the gospel. But then they are called to repentance and are expected to produce good fruit if they are going to proclaim themselves to be believers. We're not going to compromise in this area saying you can believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Paul didn't say that he was allowing unbelievers to come in to hear and believe. But then when there was someone who refused to repent, they were not welcome in the fellowship anymore. In fact, he says if there is some among you who is a brother, but commits sexual immorality and refuses to repent, put him out of that place. Like so there is an we welcome those who are sinners. But then when you come in, you are expected to be molded into the likeness of Yeshua and produce good fruits, at least in the minimal minimum, a desire to change, even when you're battling your addictions and your sins. Let's fight these things together. Let's pursue these freedom together. And even if you're struggling, that's welcome. You're struggling with temptation. Man, let's work through that. Let's let's fight this together. Let's be there for one another. Let's support one another. You you know, you, there are men and women who have same sex desires and all kinds of other desires. And 
those are desires that they have to battle. And you know, you're so welcome. If I had a fellowship, like I'm the pastor of a church, you're so welcome in this place. And I want to fellowship you. I want to worship alongside you. And I want to be there for you as you walk this road, because we all have a road to walk with sin. We all have issues that we face and, and each of us have different issues we face. And that's just another issue that we face. But we can face it together and in Christ, there is true freedom, but we have to preach the gospel that calls us to pick up our cross and truly surrender. This is not a gospel where God surrenders to us and our desires. This is the gospel, the true gospel, where we surrender our desires, what we want, what we think is right and lay our life down for him because he laid his life down for us first. All right. So, Peter, thank you so much for your question. And, I, you know, I, I hope that I'm kind of getting to that answer. If the Holy Spirit convicts you to no longer support that charity, follow that conviction. I believe that lines are being drawn in the sand and we must not compromise. Stand in what is true. Don't compromise it, but also be found loving our neighbor and sinners and welcoming them into the kingdom of God, showing them care and kindness. And so I would say that make sure that if you want to preach repentance, that your love is that your heart is breaking for that individual, that you truly love them so that there is no hatred that comes from your mouth or even in your tone when you minister to others. When we proclaim ourselves as the followers of the God of love, as love truly is, we have to also manifest that true love that is to lay your life down for even sinners as Yeshua did. That is what is expected of us too. That is what true sacrificial love is. All right. I hope I'm I'm communicating that well to you guys. God is calling us to stand firm. Okay, I want to move on to uh, the the next question here. Um, and, but before I do, I just want to read this comment. Uh, Lisa Reen said, let me just pull it up here for us all to see. Some believers use the term Jesus hung out with sinners when told we aren't to become unequally yoked. I'm glad you addressed the difference between fellowship and using opportunities to plant seeds. Well, praise the Father. And that is an important difference that we need to make right there. There is a uh, there is fellowship. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Right. What fellowship does a believer have with an unbeliever? There is no fellowship there. However, when we move into a place of meeting with someone like that, as Yeshua, as Jesus did, that was for the sake of the opportunity to reach their heart and be a witness, a testimony to them. So Lisa Reen, thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that is such an important distinction, and I'm grateful that you reminded me to even go a little bit deeper to clarify that. So uh, I'm going to go on to the next question here, uh, and this is uh, one regarding rebaptism into the sacred name. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I got this question, I've never heard this before. And she is about to share with us. Uh, her name is Irene from Missouri, and she's about to share with us just something that the Holy Spirit showed her about a baptism she did years ago. And I want to just honor her for her humility to openly just share this journey, because I believe it's going to bless others to hear this. So she says this. 
Is there perhaps false baptism? Question mark. So the Father's been showing me deeper about where the religious spirit gripped me. Many, many years ago, we believed that our Christian baptism was false and we had to be rebaptized into true names under teaching. There is only one name under heaven and earth whereby to be saved. Talking to many groups over the years, it seems like it was the thing to do. We stepped into the water and were baptized into the true name. It was not baptism for repentance. It was pride. We got it right with the name. Oi, she says, father showed me that baptism was not what showed me that baptism was not what baptism is about. Baptism is so much more than a dunking into a spelling or a pronunciation that all being said, I wondered if you prayed on it, if father will give you something to share about it, repenting of pride. Also, thank you. Many blessings. Okay, so this is quite interesting. Okay, now I'll be honest, I've heard this before many times in terms of people coming and saying, okay, I want to get rebaptized, but I want this time to be baptized into the the true name. Okay, and, and this is, you know, the sacred name doctrine, also known as the 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 re, the revelation of a new pronunciation or spelling of Yeshua or God's name, right? And this is depending on who you talk to. There are many pronunciations. Uh, Yeshua is the one I'd like to use, which refers to Jesus. Um, Yahushua is another one. Then there's Yahweh. Uh, there's there's many. OK, so let me just before I enter this, say that I am not against. Of course, you guys hear me all the time. I use the name Yeshua. I use the name Jesus because I know my audience and I want to reach people and I use the name Yahweh. I I I use I'm 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 open and I am um I I love let me say his Hebrew name absolutely and in my personal time I love using his Hebrew name as well. Like I'm an open book regarding these things. But here is something there is something though that I have to talk about here. You know, when when we start treating his name, his pronunci- the pronunciation of his name, whether it's Jesus or Yeshua or whatever, we have to recognize that we are talking about the same person of Christ. We are all talking, no matter who you're talking to, when we're talking about when someone says Jesus, when someone says Yeshua, we know what they mean. They are talking about the Messiah of Israel who died on the cross for the sins of the world, the one who was sent by the father in heaven, Yahweh, God, whatever you prefer to call him. And so we as we understand that a name is pointing to a person like when you say PD, you are referring to the person that I am the name in my my name, Yeshua's name, God, a name is not. And let me say like this, when we're talking to God, he knows who we're talking to. Okay, like like when you called on the name of Jesus in the Christian church to be saved, he saved you, right? Like he heard you, he delivered you. He he did mighty works, and many of us can can confess and say that he did. 
God is not like, well, you said my name wrong. The spelling is wrong. The pronunciation is wrong. The the language is not perfectly right. Uh, you know, I'm not going to like he's not a genie in a bottle. He's not he is not like the pagan gods of whom we have to say some kind of a a certain like um, spell saying it right so that he hears me. Okay, so while I think there is great value in his name, I great great value in recognize and studying of his Hebrew name and all of these things. When we start thinking of it in this in terms of well, you know, I was baptized in the name of Jesus be before. I need to get rebaptized because I have now learned a different pronunciation of his name. What we're really saying is we are getting rebaptized out of a rebellion to the initial meeting that we had with Jesus in the Christian church because they introduced me to Jesus. I rebel against that, that doctrine or whatever it is that you dislike about your experience in the church. And now I need to get a new baptism so that it can be true. But God is not mocked. Is he is he really like that? No, he hears us when we call on his name like a baby who is who maybe even not able to say the name of the parent perfectly well, according to man. So what? He hears our cries. He delivers us and he is the God of love who cares for us. So so here's the thing now, you know, I I am not saying that it's here's here's what I, I have to I have to discern with you all here is it's so important for us to recognize all of this and what baptism actually means. Baptism is a call to surrender. So when we enter baptism because we want to we want to say we've arrived somewhere, that's that's the opposite of what baptism is. Baptism is I recognize my depravity. Baptism is I recognize how lost and fallen I am. And I repent, oh God, of all my sins, oh Father. I repent and and that place, that humble heart is what is required. That is what true baptism is. So I'm not here to say your baptism. If you're listening to me, dear listener, that your baptism uh, was or wasn't real, or if you're if you're desiring to get rebaptized, that that's not a good desire. I'm not here to judge you as a listener. I am asking you to consider your motives, to consider why how you enter a baptism, and that if it is for any other reason, if there if it is out of rebellion, if it is out of pride, as Irene so humbly had confessed to us all, if if it is from anything else but humility and surrender, then that is false baptism. If it is not to die with Christ and be raised with Christ, then that is not a true baptism. There is no such thing as baptism without repentance. Any baptism that did not take place with absolute pierce to the heart type of repentance, that was not a true baptism. So, Irene, I hope that answers your question of is there a false baptism? Repentance is required, and I praise the Father that he has just uh, given you this revelation. And I just want you now, if you're listening to this, to just go in peace 
and praise the work that he has done in you, the journey he has taken you on. And and it is clear that he is speaking to your heart. So thank you so much for sending in that message. Uh, I see just uh, in the live chat here, um, Tara says his name is his character way more than pronunciation. Amen to that. Such a good comment. I, I, I love that. Uh, I'm going to also go to April. She said a little earlier as well. Amen. Preaching repentance from a truly broken heart and deep care for their soul versus preaching repentance in condemnation is how we walk in love. Yes. Amen. April. That is so true. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Cool, guys. So let's move on to the next question here. And this is uh, regarding humility. This person hopes to remain anonymous. And so we will keep them anonymous. And the question is this. Regarding Mary anointing Yeshua's feet, why did Mary anoint Yeshua's feet instead of his head? And why did she wipe his feet with her hair? any specific significance. So I love these questions because they they all they have a lot to do with humility. And that's the answer to in short already to this question is that it is the humility that Mary was showing. See, the feet of our body is the lowest part of the body. Even if you took a shower or a bath today, you know, with it doesn't take long for your feet to become to become dirty again. So our and, and our feet, therefore, being the lowest part of the body in that sense, come for for Mary to come and anoint his feet with this very expensive, as the scripture says, ointment is an incredible thing for her to do. And in fact, using her hair, wiping his feet with her hair, she's just humbling herself so lowly before Yeshua. And what a beautiful picture this is of her love for him and who he is and what what he is doing for her and setting her free. It's just a an illustration of what Yeshua was like in real life. You know, we read about him, but she experienced him in such a beautiful, incredibly deep way where she felt compelled to just wash his feet with her hair and this very expensive ointment. Now, you know, I want to go a little deeper on this because I think there's more here. You know, when you look, think about Judas, because what happens in this story is Judas is the one who just complains about everything she's doing here. He's just a complainer at this point. And let me pull it up here and we can quickly read it here. We see in uh, John 12, verse 4, but to Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Right. He, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Right. So we see that there's Judas complaining about her. 
man, there's such a religious spirit there, such a critical spirit that he has to 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 criticize her humility. And that's what a, that this that's the spirit that indwelled the, those religious certain Pharisees who continuously was on the back of Yeshua trying to criticize him. This was the same thing that was in Judas here. And he as a hypocrite, because he was a thief, was pointing the finger at her and she was the one doing the wonderful thing here. And this is a picture of how even caring for the poor can be prideful. You know, anything that we do can be prideful, even seemingly good works when our motive behind it is evil. Judas said, oh, we should save all this for the poor. But in fact, he he put on a face to care for the poor when he actually only cared about himself and enlarging his own pockets with the money that could come from this ointment that would be sold. And now I want to just go one chapter later here because it's really interesting. One chapter after John 12, which we just read is John 13. And in verse eight over here, we read this, the account of how uh, the disciples ultimately were washed by Yeshua, how he came to their feet. So we read this here, John 13, verse eight, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It's interesting. Then he says and says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Yeshua says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. OK, very interesting. He's he's speaking, obviously, of Judas over there. <laughs> talking further about what Judas just did in the last chapter. But, you know, what I want you to consider here is that Yeshua not only then lets others wash his feet as as Mary did in the previous chapter, but Yeshua now demonstrated washing others. So we should not only allow others to serve us to whether that's preaching the word to us, whether that's uh, supporting us, whether that's being there for us, we should ensure that we wash others as well with the word of God, whether that's blessing them financially, serving them in whichever way we need to be not just recipient, but a, a someone who blesses others, too. That's the model Yeshua Jesus is giving us. And then the, another thing we see is that Yeshua is coming to Peter saying, I am going to wash your feet. And even though Peter is uncomfortable with that, Yeshua says, you need me to if you want to have part of me. So it's a it's a voluntary thing. Yeshua comes to every person on the earth and says, I want to wash you. But many will say, no, I don't want you to wash me. But he says, I need to wash you if you want to have part in me. So when Yeshua comes to you, allow him to wash you. It's a voluntary allegiance to him that we each need to choose. And then Yeshua comes and he talks about this to Peter and he says he's if you're washed, you're bathed, right? You're he, he wants to he, he says that's good, but your feet are not clean, right? So Yeshua wants us to not be just bathed, cleaned 
taking and taking a bath, but he wants every single part of us cleaned, including our feet, which our feet is which we walk on. So Yeshua is really saying to us that when we walk, we, we may feel clean, but as we walk in life, our feet may get dirty. We may make mistakes as we stumble along. Just like Peter would later make mistakes, betraying Jesus himself. But ultimately, Yeshua says, I will even wash your feet. I will even wash the lowest part, your your mistakes that you make as you walk along. I will cleanse you of that is his mercy for us all. And that's that is the beauty that he cleanses us, not just partly, but fully when we come into him so that we can appear before the father with a clear conscience. All right. So I hope that that answers your question. Thank you so much for sending that one in. Uh, cool. Tara says a lot of the body who have had trauma deal with this. He's so patient. Amen. That's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that, Tara. Uh, and another uh, a comment from the live chat from dedicated to you. So where do we store our treasures? Leaven of heaven or pride, love of money. Yeah, that's what Yeshua said. He said, watch out to not st store your treasures on earth where moth can destroy. But in heaven go. And, and that's what Mary did. She in showing that humility, that is what she where she was storing up her treasures. Uh, Yeshua was only with them for a little while. And as he said, the poor will be with them for a long time after he leaves. But for today, we have the poor. So let's look after the poor, thereby storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. OK, next, let's go to Heidi. Uh, she asked a question. Heidi's from Waycross in Georgia, and her question is regarding uh, a spouse and being Torah observant. OK, so she says the following. I recently realized I was reading the Bible wrong and having to unlearn so many things and just let the spirit lead me. I am now Torah observant, as some may call it. I don't eat unclean. I keep the feast and the Sabbath. I'm learning more every day. However, my husband is not on the same page. He believes the Old Testament is not for us. And I'm having a hard time walking in the way the Lord is leading me and teaching our children the truth. He's OK with them eating clean, but he still makes comments about when they're 18. They won't have to follow my strict and wrong eating rules. My question is, how do I walk that out and stay encouraged while also being submissive? None of my family is Torah observant, so they agree with him and say I'm not being submissive and letting him lead our family. OK, so thank you so much for sending that in. So the first thing I'll say about this is when we're having conversations with other people who are believers about the commandments of the father that may be found in the Torah and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, uh, how I like to personally frame things. And I think this is can be very helpful is to tell people that I want to walk more like Jesus. OK, I want to walk as he walked. All Christians 
if they are truly Christian, have that as foundation that that's what it means to be a Christian, to desire to be more like Jesus. And so I always try and approach this whole thing with, hey, guys, I want to be more like Jesus. Jesus did this. I want to do it, too. And there really is no debate for that. Right. Like really, like what is someone going to really talk you down from trying to be more like Jesus? Some people may well try. However, that in of itself is an is a debate and an argument that has already ended before it has began when it is between Christians. So. Frame it with your husband, with your children, with anyone involved. I just want to be more like Jesus. And when you do it, do it humbly, do it in kindness and in love. Don't make them feel like you look look down on them. Don't make them make them feel like you're judging them or that they're lesser than you, that they're quote unquote going to hell, that they're uh, not because that's not even you know fair or true to say we don't have the authority to make such a statement. So I'm just saying that out there because I know you know, we've made these kind of mistakes before, haven't some of us? Come on, guys. <laughs> um, when we're passionate about something that the Father's calling us to, whatever that is for for, in the, for the matter, uh, we can sometimes come across a little too strongly. And so humility is key here. Now, to further answer this question, I would let Peter talk for me because Peter is such a he gives such an amazing answer to this. Uh, to this question himself. And he says this to uh, wives, 1 Peter 3 verse 1, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. OK, and I would encourage you to really read that whole chapter one, Peter three for more on that. But but in in short, this gentle, quiet, humble spirit is what the Holy Spirit places in us and desires us to walk in with with that. It would be possible to even win over a husband or whoever without using words. Now, that doesn't mean words aren't important and words don't matter and you can't use words. However, he is just making a point that there is great imperishable power by the Holy Spirit moving in and through you in your changed nature being walked out before your family and that fruit when they see that even when they turn a blind eye in the beginning will still uh, influence their hearts and at least make them wonder what how are you changing how are you so like yeshua you're saying you want to be more like yeshua i can actually see jesus in you when i read the bible mom tell me about this more that breaking point can come. Sometimes it takes a while. There's a journey often involved with that. However, that is the biblical calling that Christ has for us on how to walk. And so um, being submissive, um, as she said, 
to her husband, that's 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 a good thing to desire, but that also doesn't mean compromise. Okay, so that doesn't mean that you you compromise what what you think is walking like Yeshua in your own life. Now, it doesn't mean that you force that upon others. You know, you you encourage them. You you could tell them why you do what you do. You can tell them you can, you know, be open and loving about that and talk. But ultimately, then let your work speak loudly for itself so that at the end of the day, when when everyone when everything is said and done and we're all before the father that you walked out what the father has given you as an individual honorably as you stand before him as each and every one of us will stand before him as an individual and as you you know you also asked um heidi about how can i be encouraged i will encourage you in this manner yeshua said Blessed are you, blessed are you if you're persecuted, if you face trials for my name's sake, if others, if others, you know, um, are rude or mean or 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 make your life more difficult in to whichever measure, because you stand for Yeshua, then ultimately you, great is your reward in heaven. Blessed is the or the persecuted Yeshua was was there was controversy around his life because of his uncompromising stance on what is right and the fact that he even spoke and lived a life that was uncomfortable for everyone around him who did not follow that same uh, lifestyle of holiness so if he was persecuted it is only natural for us to expect the same he even said there will be, and I don't wish this on anyone, but I'm just saying what he said. Yeshua said there will be times when father and brother and, you know, uh, wife and husband, there will be there will be divisions because of his name, because people will one will decide to go this way. Another will decide to go that way. These things he prophesied will occur. But at the same time, do not lose hope because there is great power. And listen to me carefully here. Great power in prayer and in the Holy Spirit working through us to change the hearts of husbands or wives or children that we dearly love. If we love our family members, how much more do you think does the father love them and desire for them to come into his fold wherever they're at in their uh, in their relationship with him. And so, yeah, I will also just say if anyone's listening to this and they're like, well, what, what is what was Heidi talking about regarding, you know, um, unclean food, the Sabbath or th the feast days? There's beauty in many of these things, even if they're not salvific salvation issues. And please just go to the Rise on Fire channel that you're watching this on and search the Sabbath, search the feasts. We have tons of videos on all of them and you will find a great blessing in all of them because Yeshua, Paul and the rest of the disciples all walked them out. And I want to walk like Yeshua, don't you? Right. Cool. So. I hope that was a blessing. Um, 
on YouTube Four Seasons North says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5 verse 10. Uh, Amanda says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you, and I will take out the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you uh, a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. Amen. Amanda, thank you also for sharing that. It's so good. All right, guys, let's go on to the next one. Hey, I hope this is a blessing to you. I don't have all the answers, but I I thank the Holy Spirit that he can empower me. Um, but as with everything, test everything I say to the word. Okay, the next question is regarding walking in the spirit. And then we're also going to talk about casting out demons a bit after that. This question is about is from Sue in Iron River, Michigan. And she asks this, and this is a really good one. I have been told my whole life that we do not go by feelings. How then can I discern if it is indeed the spirit, if that is the only way I can explain it when it happens? Am I wrong? Okay. So this is such a good question. You know, um, I love it because just last week I did a sermon at uh, in Nashville on how to walk in the Holy Spirit. Go and watch that if you haven't yet. And I can totally see this is a good follow up question to that sermon because I talk about these things now. Yes, you know, we all always say, you know, don't walk by feelings. OK, and what we what do we mean by that? We mean an emotion, right? A feeling uh, is an emotional response to something that's happening in front of us. And that emotional response should not be how we determine what is true and how we judge what is right. OK, but now that being said, let, let's ask this question. How do you experience a person? OK, how do you if if there's someone in front of you, how do you experience them? It's by your senses. It's by your sight. It's by hearing them. You can feel you could you know, there's this are our God given human senses by which we experience people and the world in of itself. And so I want to submit there is another spiritual sense that we are given. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, by which we can experience God, by which we can hear his voice, by which he speaks to us. Right. There is a spiritual sense of some sort for a lack of terminology. That's just what I'm going to call it for now. And that sense, I would I would personally just for for the sake of terminology, try and explain it as a knowing. When the father speaks to us, there is a knowing that he has spoken. There is a innate deep inside. Wow, I think God just spoke to me. It's not something that I can necessarily teach you for the Holy Spirit is your teacher in this matter. However, that's the whisper. I can describe it to you. I feel it's, it's, it's so to say it's a feeling. Some people may do that. But I would call it a knowing. I, I just know that the father's calling me and my wife to move 
from Virginia Beach to Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's something that happened with me. I know that I know that I know that I should do it. It's not that I don't know how I can explain it besides for that. Or I, I know that I know that I know that this man standing in front of me, I need to go up to him and pray for him because God is putting that in me right now. And I and I just can't shake it like that's what the Holy Spirit does. So that is that knowing, right? Biblically, we should not follow our heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know our hearts? Only God can. So we don't follow our heart. However, when we submit our lives before God, we're following him and we're asking him to when we're lifting up whatever we're facing in prayer for him to guide us and we're surrendering our desires to him, then he will and he will speak to us in the way that he does to us as a individual. We can all hear from him differently. The way he speaks to me can be very different from the way he speaks to you. But there are typical ways he does speak to us. Um, But I will say this, that if you want to learn how to hear his voice, if you want to learn how to walk by the spirit in that sense, I would say do the same as a child would. Right. When we have a little child who's they, they just got born and they're growing up and they're learning to to take control of their senses, right? They're learning how to smell the first thing they taste. They put mud in their in their mouth and they're tasting the mud and it's a disaster. But that's how they develop their senses. And they, you know, they see, they look with their big eyes. And, you know, children, they are just they're just taking it all in and learning to use their senses. And then they stand up one day, a baby, and they start walking, but then the baby falls over, the child gets up again, walks, and then falls over again and gets up again. And and as parents, we're encouraging them to try and walk alone on their two feet. And we get excited when that happens. In the same way, that's how our Father in Heaven is towards us. He understands that for us to develop our sense, our spiritual sense, to walk in the spirit is going to take practice. And with that, we're going to make mistakes. Like a child, we're going to fall over a bit. We're going to put mud on our our face. And we're going to do things that are a little, you know, okay, next time we probably won't do that again. But our father is merciful with us just as we would be merciful with our children. The key is, is that we have the humility of a child to have childlike faith and humility in the development of this so that when we know we're still growing in an area, we don't grow proud to act like we know what we're doing when we're actually still learning. You see, that's that's important. So when we're we're learning a spiritual gift, when we're learning to hear his voice and we're taking a risk, that's great. But then when we do that, do that in humility of understanding that you're learning and submitting that you're still learning to others, not, um, say, speaking for God when you know you're still learning to hear his voice, but that you humbly submit. It may be that the father is showing me this and teaching me this. And then later when you hear and when you see, oh, this was how he spoke to me, then, you know, that's what his voice sounds like. And so when I say for me, it's a knowing that he speaks sometimes that only has come because after years and years and years and years of trial and error and getting it wrong too and 
there is a oh i know what the father's voice sounds like and the stranger i do not follow i know that i know that i know and this comes from taking great leaps of faith in trust when i believe he is speaking to me as i submit my life unto him okay so yeah i hope that that's a blessing to you i hope that makes sense to you guys and um what that difference kind of is it's it's a it's a difficult one to explain. I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, but I would I would describe on the one side we have our emotions, human emotions, and, and emotions aren't bad because by the way, God gives us emotions and can, we can experience him through our emotions, but we don't make decisions, judge just based off emotions. But on the other hand, then we have this knowing that he is speaking to us, which is a separate thing. Okay, so hope that makes sense. Uh, Sue, many blessings and thank you for sending that in to us. Okay, well, we're we're doing all right. I have a few more left. Um, let's let's keep going and try and see how much we can do here. Um, the next question is regarding demons, and this is from Christine in in Lamar, and her question is this: Why would a demon touch you? And or why would it want you to know it is there? Okay, she then explains and says, I was at my daughter's house staying overnight, helping with my great, great grandbaby, with my great grandbaby. And one night I felt something touch my right shoulder area, shoulder chest area, and I brushed it away, whatever it might have been, as if you were brushing away a bug and then it was pitch bla black in this room, but I could see a smoky shadow. I didn't think too much about it at the same, at the time, because it didn't make me afraid. But later I realized it could have been an evil spirit or demon. And so my question is, why would a demon let you know it's there? I believe in keeping the commandments, but the daughter, but the daughter I was staying with does not believe in Jesus. Excuse me. I misspoke. The daughter I was staying with does not keep the commandments. She believes in Jesus, but doesn't believe that we should keep the commandments and feast days. And they did have Harry Potter books in the room. Okay, so I can't speak to that encounter because, you know, I need more information. However, I'll answer the question as it was presented with what I the information that I do have now. Here's what I'll say uh, as to the first question. Why would a demon let you know it's there? Okay, so this thing of demons in houses, haunted houses, stuff like that. You know, we, we see it in, even in movies and, and shows have been made about it and, and we hear about it. Well, yes, there is. Demons can manifest in the physical. They can manipulate physical objects. They can make. They can allow noises to be made in a the house. They can. Um, uh, okay, I'm not even going to go into it, but because I don't want to, you know, talk about it in that sense to give glory. But I'll say this: that yes, there is power in the demonic realm of things. Uh, demons can do things where they've been given authority as believers we don't we should not fear demons but we also shouldn't open doors to them because ultimately you know believers can have whatever they want 
people say, oh, well, how can it be that a demon influences a believer's life? How can it be that a demon, uh, you know, um, uh, oppresses a believer? Well, a believer can have a demon because a believer can have whatever they want. A believer can, can go and watch pornography. A believer can lie and steal and even murder. They can, we as people, we can do what we want. We still have free will. And so even without realizing it, we can absolutely open the door to a demon by playing with witchcraft, sorcery, by indulging in sin, um, uh, th yeah, things of that nature. And so, so when demons have an open door, they will try and take it. Why? Because they want to put fear in us. They want to, like if a demon was to, like if this story is what she may think, if a demon touched or if a demon, um, demon's presence was there or something like that of that nature, the whole, let me say like this, when I was a child, uh, I had night terrors where they were absolutely not just, you know, a dr just dreams, but I had consecutive nights for, I don't know how many, but I was very small, but I do remember it many, many, many nights at the stage of my life where I would have demonic attacks in my sleep, where I would feel strangled and things of that nature. And, and I was afraid of going to bed as a child because of it. The demons were scared of what God was putting on my life. The demons were scared of the calling. The demons are, are scared of the kingdom of God, and they will try and put fear in you. They will put, try, put, try and put fear in children and the family so that you fear them. It's a lie, though. The reality is demons should fear us if we knew who we were in Christ, if we knew the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That's the reality. They're like super scared, super scared of us. So like when it comes to demons, like they're like, I'm like, whatever, like bring it on. I don't care. You have nothing on me. Uh, you know, I that's that's my stance on it because I understand and I'm confident in my authority that Christ has given me that he has died for me to have that and and I'm confident in it to his glory not because I'm I'm anything not because I'm strong I'm weak but because he is strong in me and so there is a confidence that I can have over the kingdom of darkness because he, Yeshua has put them under my feet and I do not have to fear them I can command them to leave and they will um, but I have to close the doors I, if there's a door open in my life, if there is, if there are, are materials in my home that are sort of sorcery, if there is sin in my life, whatever that is, you should pray and ask the Father to, to, to reveal anything and be obedient in following the conviction to rid your house of those things so that the door can be closed on those things and so that you can be, your house can be free. Um, so that would that's what I would say as to why it's to put fear in you because they're scared of the calling and the um, of God on your life and on the lives of those in the household. So yeah, that it's an it's an illusion of fear a uh, fear of the unknown. But we should not be scared of them. We should just cast them out. And by the way, all believers have that authority to cast them out, contrary to what many teach. Okay. Um, then I'll just go to this next question, which is the same person is just asking kind of a follow up question. Would playing a recording of a shofar be just as good as 
playing a shofar itself as far as maybe driving away demons. Okay, now this is an interesting question, I'll be honest. Um, I had to think about this for a moment because it's I've never heard this before, but it, it, it's cool. It's a thank you for sending it, you know. Uh, so here's what I would I would ask. First, I'll say this disclaimer and then I'll ask the question. First, I'll say that shofars, biblically speaking, are wonderful. We see that Israel blew shofars when they were heading into battle. Uh, physically and spiritually for that matter. Um, so shofars can be blown, absolutely, you know, that trumpet, that that horn, um, for the sake of spiritual warfare. There is something biblically to it, absolutely. So, but with that being said, what is it that if, if you see an army, let's just say as in ancient times, an army, uh, thousands of people arriving on the horizon and you see this army and a shofar is blown and and it's like oh, wow there's war has been declared a war cry has gone forth what happens is you're scared but not of the shofar itself but really what it represents that this army has declared war on you okay so the shofar in of itself is not the thing that drives away the demon Okay, the shofar in of itself is not what has any power, but the shofar is a declaration of the power that resides in you by the Spirit of God, and that you now have declared war. That is what it means. That's an important distinction because no one should reach for a shofar thinking that the shofar is what's going to scare away a demon. Any object, physical object in this world in of itself is not what's going to scare the enemy. It's going to be our faith. It's going to be the fact that we understand the authority that's been given to us by Yeshua to, to have authority over all the works of the devil, as he himself said. So um, same thing with oil. You know, when you think about um, anointing oil, things like that, anointing oil in of itself is very biblical, but in of itself is not what heals like putting oil on someone for healing as in the New Testament described that the elders anoint the sick and they will and the prayers of the righteous can do many things right when that happens it's not the oil in of itself that does anything so it's not about like getting the special anointing oil from Israel's olive groves and and the you know it's not about that as much as it is the fact that the oil what the oil represents right the Holy Spirit is what it represents coming over the person and healing them. Uh, so it's not about what these objects that God rightfully has given us are in of itself. It's what they represent spiritually in the spiritual realm and how we having our faith in Yeshua, not in the object, actually then we'll see things occur. Um, same with like things like salt. You know, a lot of people put salt on their windows to keep spirits away or, you know, run around with a crucifix, you know, trying to cast out demons by a crucifix. Uh, you know, those are things. Those things in themselves aren't going to do anything. The person, if the person holds a cross and has true faith in Yeshua, demons can still tremble and leave, but it's not because the cross was held. Okay. Um, it's because of the faith of the individual. So I hope that makes sense. Um, 
so you know what i would prefer as i end this is if you just stick to elements that god biblically has given us that is like oil um olive oil is is an absolute biblical element a shofar is an absolute biblical element uh, there are other things in the world that many in religion uses. Eh, it's really not necessary. And uh, and the risk we run is to really put faith in those things in of themselves. And that can lead to superstitions. And we don't want that. Cool. So um, I hope that that's been a blessing to you guys. Hey, guys, um, I have some more questions that came in regarding the Sabbath. I have... And, and I want to just share with you to go, if you have questions regarding the Sabbath, if you have questions regarding, sh can we keep it? How should we keep it? Anything of that nature, please go watch my teaching called how to practically keep the biblical Sabbath answering your questions. I did an hour plus Q and A just on the Sabbath. And I would encourage you to go and listen to that for an answer to all your questions regarding how to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to put a link of that in the description of this video, but you can just search how to practically keep the biblical Sabbath. So with that all being said, I want to just say thank you so very much, guys, for uh, being with us here tonight and just sharing your night with me live here to talk about these subjects. Uh, I want to just end this night off with prayer to pray for all the things that we're facing in the world regarding the pride, the spirit of pride, and for the Father to start with us, to put humility in us first and foremostly. And from there on out, the power of God can go forth and really accomplish many things as he did through the disciples who in their humility was able to turn Rome upside down by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not say, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I have faith. I believe that God can still do mighty things in this world, in this country, in the West, the East, the North and the South, that he can set people free and are setting people free. But we must, instead of just point a finger, be a vessel of change, a vessel of the Holy Spirit that brings healing to this world to be the light in this world. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, for all who are listening to this, every household at the sound of my voice, that you would put. I just speak to every leader of every household, every priest, every husband, Lord, that you would put your spirit in them to lead their households, Father, Father, I pray that you would open their mouths to let tongues of fire come forth. Father, I pray that you would open their spiritual senses to hear your voice. Father, I pray that they would be able to lead their household into truth and be I come against the spirit of idleness in the body right now. I come against the spirit of passivity to not lead. I pray against that. I pray for Lord Holy Spirit that you would put a, a that that leader that you've called men to be that you would put that back that you would restore that role back so they can lead their household in righteousness and holiness and as an example of humility. I just feel like the Father wants me to, wanted me to pray for that for whatever reason. And, and Father, so on, Lord. I also pray 
Father, for the rest of the household, Lord, that you would deliver us, Lord, from all of our pride. And you would deliver us from our, our pointing of the fingers. Lord, help us to not be a Pharisee, but help us to be as humble as that tax collector who beat his chest and said, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, we are all we have we have fallen short, O Lord, of you, but we thank you for your redemption. Help us to live redeemed in that in light of that humility that you call us to to not join the world in their month of pride. But help us, Lord, help us to in this next month of July, O Lord, help us to have our month of humility. Father, help us to have our month of being an example of what it looks like to walk in true humility, being uncompromising of the truth. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. I am so honored, so thankful that you did. Please share this with your friends and join us again live. You can text Yeshua to 94000. Ultimately, join to 94000 to join us uh, live next time as well and receive text notifications. I want to also just say a special thank you to our partners who've made this broadcast and every other broadcast uh, that we have do here on the channel possible. We couldn't do it without you guys. And if this has blessed you, you can also partner with us to make these possible by going to riseonfire.com. Many blessings to you, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Shalom.